Hello, Binge Thinkers near and far, and welcome to another episode of Binge Thinking, the show where we interview millennial experts about their passions, struggles, and how they want to change the world. I'm your host, Casper Roxburgh, and this is episode 21. As usual, a bit of housekeeping. Firstly, thanks to friend of the show, Alex Foster, for sharing his feedback on episode 20 with Amadou Suso. We really appreciate it, and we always appreciate your feedback, so if you have any, please just let us know. As I mentioned last episode, we now have binge thinking stickers. If you, our lovely listeners, want one, all you need to do is email us at bingethinkingshow at gmail.com with your name and physical address, and we will give you one for free. We're not going to do anything else with your address or your details. We only need it so we can mail it to you. But seriously, it's for free. So do it. You too could have your own binge thinking sticker to share with the world by simply emailing us at bingethinkingshow at gmail.com. You got that? Great. All right, we're all done. Okay, Samantha Hood was suggested as a guest by previous binge thinker and alumni, Catherine Gerke. A bit over a month ago, I happened to see Samantha tweeting that she was in Melbourne, so we ended up doing an impromptu recording, which you're about to hear. Samantha is a 26-year-old quantum physicist from Brisbane. She is completing her PhD, which is looking at developing new solar panel technology that will be much cheaper and can be used way more than existing solar panels. Samantha is also a great communicator, and we got binge thinking about her research, women in physics, and her frustrations with pseudoscience. You'll hear Samantha explain how a solar panel works, which, let's be honest, none of us really understand, not even me, and... She'll also explain how it basically replicates the process used by plants to create energy and how her version of a solar panel that she's working on might actually lead to less reliance on batteries for storage. As always, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcasting app, and that way you won't miss a single episode. You can also like us on our Facebook page, Binge Thinking Podcast, and join the other 533 bingelings already there. Follow the show on Twitter, if that's your preferred thing, at binge underscore think, and follow me on Twitter or Instagram at CWRoxborough. Our producer Nina is also on Twitter at NWRoxborough, and speaking of Nina, she produced this episode, which also features music by Big Gigantic. But now, Binge Thinking presents to you, Samantha Hood. So you're a podcast listener? Yes, yes. I am. What's your favourite? My favourite is a podcast called Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Apart from this one, of course. I'm running it. Well, yeah, um, of course. Binge yes. thinking. It's the best <laughs> podcast the best. ever. <laughs> but yeah, Oh No, Ross and Carrie, I first got into because they did a series about joining Scientology. Oh. So they're a lovely couple of people. Um, from LA and they go and investigate fringe science and pseudoscientific groups. Yeah. They look at all of the cults that come across their path and join and see how far they can go and just report back on all of the unusual practices or things that they find spiritually 
important and things yeah. like that, which is really interesting. Cool. But from a very critical point of view. Yeah. So it's very entertaining. It's kind of perfect in a way. Yeah. If you're a scientist or scientifically yeah. minded. Yeah. Exactly. And so their recent podcast is about um, they went to an anti-vaccination rally. Ooh. And that was really challenging for them because mm. it's a challenging subject, I it suppose. Is. Yeah. And there were a lot of children at the rally and it became quite emotional for them, for these kids to be campaigning against their yeah. own health, which mm. was, yeah. It's a very good podcast. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Check All right, it out. cool. What about, okay, that's one kind of podcast, but do you have a favorite of another type? Um, obviously, Dr. Carl on Triple J is always yep. good yeah. to pick up every week. And going back to really old school podcasts, I will listen to the Ricky Gervais show. Yeah, right. Like... Once a year, I'll pick that up and re-listen to them all with yeah. Carl Pilkington because I think they're just gold. They are gold, aren't they? Yeah. So, have you ever watched the animations that yeah. people did? Yeah. God damn, they're fantastic. They're so good. Yeah. And that was quite early on in the podcast scene, I think. Mm. And so, that was the first time where I realized how good of a medium it could be. Mm. And it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Um, okay. So... We're live, we're listening to Binge Thinking and I'm here, Casper Roxburgh, in my living room in Melbourne and I'm sitting opposite the one and only Samantha Hood. Hello. Hello. Welcome Hello. and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. I've been trying to tee this up for quite a while, actually. I think I first got in touch with you about coming on... It was very early. Yeah, yeah, very early. Yeah, very early on. Yeah, I think yeah. you'd only done one or two episodes at that point, perhaps. That's right. Yeah. And were you still in Queensland then? I was probably in the process of moving. Yeah. I think. It's a nightmare moving. Yeah. Yeah. Especially interstate when yeah. you, and you're, you're driving with all your stuff. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. terrible. All right. So, uh, as is always the case in the show, would you start by just saying who you are and what you do? So my name's Samantha Hood and I am doing a PhD in physics at the University of Queensland and I'm really passionate about the environment and I love thinking about futuristic technology and I have kind of combined those passions to look at how we can create different sources of renewable uh, energy. Mm. So everyone is familiar with solar panels that you might see on roofs and my research is actually looking at similar devices but these ones are made out of plastics and the these these are the ones that you see being printed on the yeah. news and they're like you can put them on everything exactly and, yeah. so you can print them in big sheets using fancy inks onto these exotic plastics that happen to absorb light and then create electricity and what's different about these to the normal solar panels so they're much cheaper to produce they're thin and flexible so they're kind of like old camera film if you can remember back to those days yep but at the moment, they're only about half as efficient as the ones that you have on roofs. So it's, uh, I guess that's an obstacle into how we're commercializing them. Mm. Um, so so yes. how does your work fit into all of this? I want to understand how they work at a fundamental level because we don't. And if we don't understand how they work, it makes it really hard to motivate how to improve them in the mm. lab instead of just doing random things and hoping for the best. Sure. And so that's what I do. So I use all these physics equations to represent energy moving through these devices and trying to understand these mechanisms so that we can design them with better materials to make them more efficient. And you use quantum physics to do this, which is that's something right. that like people hear and they just freak out and they're kind of like, oh, yes. that's the really complicated Stephen Hawking stuff, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. I always really liked quantum ever since I first studied it in second year. I had a lecturer and he was really passionate and he had such a good intuition for quantum mechanics, which is really unusual because it kind of violates a lot of 
classical physics that everyone is kind of more familiar with because it's how we live our lives. So what, what's, yeah. what's the classic? Can yeah. you just quickly explain the difference? Yeah, so quantum applies to very, very low energy, very, very small systems. Yeah. So things like atoms and electrons. Yeah. And electrons create electricity, as you're familiar with. Uh, whereas classical things is things that we observe. So dropping a banana off a table, for example, could be described by classical physics. Yeah, that's the Newton's yeah. laws, gravity and, yep. and acceleration. Exactly, and, and, yeah, that speed sort of stuff. and things like that. Yeah. But then you can go a step up and you get to Einstein's theory of general relativity, which describes planets. galaxies and the cosmos in general. Yeah. So there's all of these layers that have different physics to explain them. Right. And mm. so getting back to what your yes, research is, sorry. so you've got the qu- <laughs> you work in the quantum space. That's right. So why? Yeah, so if you're looking at these devices that I'm trying to improve, these solar panels. Exactly. So they're made out of plastics. Mm-hmm. And if you zoom in a bit more, plastics are molecules. Yep. Uh, molecules are collections of atoms mm-hmm. and like water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would be a molecule. Yeah. yeah. So these ones that I work with are made out of carbon and hydrogen or oxygen. So that's why they're called organic because they're made out of the same things as us. Yeah. Um, and they kind of look like spaghetti. Mm. And that makes it a big problem because spaghetti is messy and <laughs> we don't really know how to understand how electrons within these materials are behaving. So these mm. are the things that carry that electricity that we want to get out of them. Yeah. But because we're on this kind of atomic level, to do it correctly, we really need to consider it using this theory of quantum physics. Yeah. Um, and, and isn't the thing about quantum physics that it's like there's all this uncertainty, like you don't know exactly. what's going on yep. and it's really random. It's like the Schrodinger's cat. Yep. And if you've ever seen the Simpsons episode where you know, somebody falls into a vortex and there's all this weird stuff happening. Yes. I think, yeah. There's, there's also a very good uh, Rick and Morty episode where oh. they have the Schrodinger cats, which I really like. That's a, that's the one where they, they split the universe the split because they're screwing around with time. Yeah, because yeah. they're uncertain about their decisions. It's so good. I love Rick. He's my favorite. It's such a good show. It's yeah. very, very, very brilliant. Yeah. So your work is really just understanding how these different types of solar panels work yeah. so that we can fix them up and exactly. make them work better. Yeah. yeah. So, How do you do that? Though? Yeah. So my average day might look like reading papers that other people have kind of written, obviously, because that's what you need to do in science. You need to stay on top of the literature. Yeah. Uh, but more importantly, I write code. So okay. I sit down and use these equations to uh, represent things happening in these molecules so, okay yeah. so it's very kind of theoretical yeah and you're kind of using a computer yeah. to simulate behaviors yeah Is, can we simulate this sort of stuff accurately so you have to make approximations at this point because we only have a certain amount of computer power yeah. and quantum mechanics gets very complicated the more things that are in it mm. and so for a system like this where you have millions and millions of molecules it becomes unfeasible to do this on a classical computer until we have quantum computers i think we do need to make these kinds of approximations right so Um, quantum computer is for doing quantum equations basically yeah so in a classical computer the ones that you all have on your desks and your laptops and things and in your pocket on your phone yeah exactly which are more powerful than the computers that sent men to the moon which is amazing um yeah so in these computers they technically operate with ones and zeros so this is binary Mm. um so you have on or off and these are the two states that you can have Mm -hmm. 
in quantum computers, you have an additional degree of freedom, which allows you to be on or off or both at the same time. So it's just adding a third option. Yeah. So you get this extra option, which then allows you to scale up your computations quite well. Mm. However, physically realizing these systems is really difficult because quantum mechanics turns out to be very fragile. Okay. What do you mean by fragile? Um, so if you have a nice quantum system, a typical example may be like 100,000 atoms suspended in a vacuum held up by lasers. Yeah. Okay. So they're very unusual in this vacuum. They're also almost at absolute zero temperature. So they're very low energy. Mm-hmm. And these things will only last for, I guess, the order of a few seconds usually. So yeah. it's really hard to kind of take that quantum awesome technology and integrate it into something that can work like a computer on such a large scale because Mm. you have all of these things that are bumping it from the environment like you have heat and things that are coming in just not stable really exactly they come and destroy it yeah right yeah and so quantum computers are a while away, but that's something that my research center is working on and it's uh, probably going to be a bit of a game changer. Yeah. yeah. So you're doing all this research, but yes. I mean, what's this really all about for you? I think it's about trying to understand these materials on a fundamental level uh, is really fun in terms of problem solving because I've always loved problem solving as a kid. I love puzzles and all sorts of things. It's fun to me. Uh, But the fact that there might be a potential application for creating new technology that will help to curb our carbon emissions and things like that is really exciting to me. Mm. And these can also be manufactured at much lower temperatures than uh, conventional solar cells, which are made of silicon. So you need to heat those up a lot, which takes a lot of energy. Mm. Whereas plastics only needed to be heated to a few hundred degrees. And so there's really different... Uh, factors that come into play and it's kind of a interplay between these that makes me really excited about it so do you feel like you are saving the world a little bit uh not most of the time to be honest i mean in research you become so focused on such a small problem it's really nice to come and do podcasts like this to zoom out and think about the big picture and why you're doing it but yeah on a day-to-day basis i'm just worried about bugs in code or (laughs) yeah feeling inadequate you know the usual yeah the imposter syndrome stuff yeah you tend to get yeah yeah sure yeah it's so real Mm. yeah and you know when we think about a solar panel and what you guys are trying to do, this is really kind of trying to come up with a technological version of a plant. That's right. Yeah. This is a leaf. Yeah. So I guess it's exactly like a leaf, except we're interrupting the leaf at the point at which it would start doing chemistry to make sugars. And we Mm. instead take out that energy and use it as electricity. And so that's something that's really interesting because maybe through my work on these artificial devices, maybe we'll get some kind of insight into how photosynthesis in plants and algae works. And photosynthesis is the process where a plant will take light and CO2 from the atmosphere and turn it into sugars and energy. Yeah. And so hopefully my uh, work will shed some light on this. I think that would be a really exciting prospect is to make kind of artificial plants that could perhaps... Uh, extract CO2 from the atmosphere, give us oxygen, use light and convert this all into electricity that we can use. So taking it that extra step. The other cool thing about plants is that they take in the light energy from the sun, but then they're, they're able to store it. And this is a problem with solar, as many people know. Yeah. Once you absorb those photons, you have to store it in a battery. 
And I'm sure every South Australian knows that batteries are expensive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they also have their own environmental impact, I suppose, because they use all of these precious metals and things. And so, I mean, there's so many problems to be solved. Mm. But if we can just understand plants and mimic plants better, because they're doing it all around us. I feel like they're teasing me almost. Do you feel like as a scientist that there's all of these amazing examples of the solutions to our problems? Like they're just sitting there and it's just that we don't understand the world around us well enough to kind of get it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the best thing about physics is you get to understand the world world around you mm. uh, and whether you like to do things like cosmology and understand how the universe came to be yeah. or you want to understand how atoms work or mm. how to create new cool types of matter like superconductors. Yeah. The possibilities really are endless, yeah. which is so nice. It's so nice. I'm yeah. sure people are like, oh my God, I couldn't yeah. imagine it. It's so fun. So... Do you think that technology is going to save us (laughs) from the impending climate crisis? Because this is something that I often talk about with people. Yeah. People say, oh, yeah, but the world's so screwed and we should stop having kids and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And I always say to them, look, I don't think so. I'm optimistic. I think that things are going to get bad, but... You know, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. And as we need it, we will come up with solutions. I don't think we're going to let the world destroy us. And I'm a really big believer in like technocratic solutions are going to come. Yeah. And I'm wondering, given that this is, you're basically the person that's doing that for us. Um, what do you think? Do you believe that it, it's going to be okay? I really hope it is, obviously, because I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it will be okay. But I do agree that it's going to get pretty bad before people stop investing their money in the wrong places and turn mm. it around. There are really cool technologies that exist already to mitigate some of the effects of climate change. So there's vertical fans. They look like they're really strange machines that extract CO2 from the atmosphere and store it. So you can take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and then you can essentially pump it down beneath the earth back where it belongs. Mm. Um, Obviously, this is not a supernatural thing to happen. So they do use some pretty nasty chemicals in that process. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for the US military budget which is understandably huge but if they were to spend that in one year you could like stop climate change with these devices yeah so the I don't remember what they're called there. yeah That's interesting I was in Iceland recently and I went to their geothermal power stations and it was just incredible like they have 100% renewable energy in Iceland wow. and a lot of it comes from hydro but the remainder comes from their super active geological areas so they use that for heating so they Mm -hmm. pump all of the hot water through the houses and things yeah and they do use it for producing power but they were finding that they were getting 0.4 percent of their emissions were co2 or some Mm. silly low number like that really (laughs) silly yeah (laughs) Yeah. but then they panicked and said this is not good enough we need to have zero and so they ended up capturing this carbon dioxide that was being emitted and they essentially just made sparkling water out of it. So they... <laughs> they <laughs> soda stream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just used a soda stream and then they pumped this water back it down into the rock beneath the earth where it was absorbed by... I can't remember the type of rock, like basalt maybe. Mm-hmm. It was absorbed by these certain rocks yeah. and people were really doubtful of this working and said, oh, it'll take you like at least a few decades to get this to work. But they yeah. did it in two years. Yeah. 
And now so, it's zero carbon dioxide being So if used. we were all like Iceland. Oh, man, could you imagine? Oh. They've also made it illegal to pay women less than men now. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. They were also the only country to jail bankers in the global financial yeah, crisis. Yeah, and they actually really revi- totally revolutionized their economy after yeah. that crisis. Yeah. Iceland. It's, yeah. It's the new Sweden. It's a very good model, but also they have a lot of advantages. They do. That not every country has. Mm. The technology can definitely save us, but it's just a question of whether people will care enough to act before then. Mm. Because a lot of people, and it's going to be the most, um, I guess, exposed people who are kind of in developing nations that will suffer the most, Mm, I think. The most vulnerable. Yeah, it's really a social issue Mm. at this point. And political. Yeah. It's more of a political problem than a technological one at this point. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Mm. So... Your passion is really the environment and protecting the environment from the kind of damage that we do to it. Yeah. But you recognize that we got to have, we have to have energy. Yes. And so this is the reason why you do what you do. Yeah. And what about science in general? Because there's lots of different ways to contribute to the environment. Yeah. Why, why is this your way? Uh, In physics, you kind of get to try out all of these different areas and some of them are more applied than others. And I thought that maybe researching these kind of questions would be really satisfying um, Mm. because it's a little less abstract than a lot of things that my colleagues do. Yeah. And people kind of tend to understand the benefit of it. Mm. Well, it has a very tangible real-life application. Everyone understands that we need solar power. Not and, everyone. Well, <laughs> everyone except for like the Liberal National Senator. Oh, goodness. Um, Matt Canavan and, uh, and others. Yeah. I think you're in good stead with solar technology. Even yeah. if people are very kind of pro-fossil fuel, they still aren't against solar. They just kind of want to make the fossil fuel industry like keep going. Yeah. But they, I think everyone's like, yeah, but solar, you know, this is good. Like it's yes. generating jobs. It's you know, manufacturing, it's all this great stuff. Yeah. 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 I went to Science Meets Parliament earlier this year and I met with a member of parliament. This is the Queensland Parliament or the no, federal? No, the federal parliament. Right. So scientists all went down to Canberra. My lovely research centre, the Australian Research Centre of Excellence for Engineered Quantum Systems sent mm-hmm. me, which was really nice of them. Uh, but I met with a certain member of parliament and... When she heard about my research, she says, oh, just so you know, I have no problems with coal, <laughs> like straight up. And then she showed me a picture of her holding that piece of coal that in Parliament. In Parliament. Mm. Great. And I was like, yeah. cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. How do yeah. you feel when you encounter that sort of thing as a scientist and as somebody who works in this space with a particular interest in protecting the environment? I think it just makes me angry, but that anger comes from a place of sadness, Yeah, I think. And so I recognize that it's not feasible to immediately transition to 100% renewables. Yeah. But yeah, I get so frustrated at people who think it's a good idea to keep building new coal mines. Mm. And Queensland is such a sucker for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we, <laughs> and, but we digress. Yes. Um, so... To, I'm wondering in that space, do you have a struggle? I don't think so because the number of people that I come across day to day that have an issue with my work are almost 
zero. Mm. Um, as you know, universities are very kind of open-minded and encouraging places for these kinds of ideas. And so it's not so bad. And as you said, most people recognize that solar is not necessarily the enemy. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think that I would call this my struggle as yeah. such. Well, do you have one? Mm. I get very upset by pseudoscience that I see on social media. Yeah. So anything that talks about quantum vibrations in crystals and how crystals can heal you by acting through your third eye or some, I don't even know. <laughs> but they use words like quantum and vibrations and frequency, which are all part of the lexicon, I suppose, that I use. Yeah. It gets a bit frustrating. Mm. And it's even worse, I suppose, when they're making money off it and duping people. Yeah. But What yeah. do you do when you see that sort of thing? How do you react to that? I usually share it with my friends and then they will also get mad and we can kind of find like solace in that. But that's pretty much all you can do. Yeah, you don't, you don't engage, engage no. in that sort of thing. I really would like to start a blog that just tears these things apart. Yeah. Just like almost as a form of therapy for myself. Yeah. And I find it... Very tricky. I mean, I live in West End in Brisbane and there's a lot of alternative stores that sell like the Himalayan salt lamps that yeah. cleanse negative ions from your space. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ugh, I don't know. We're here in Brunswick in Melbourne and they sell that <laughs> stuff at my local shopping centre. Yeah. 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 Or radiation free blah, blah, blah. And it's mm. kind of like light is radiation. Yeah. Can you all come down, please? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. So... What do you think is the principal driver of, of these trends of pseudoscience in public discourse? I think that maybe part of it has to do with people being suspicious of science and that science is kind of communicated in such a way that it's not for the everyday person. Yeah. Um, and so that makes them feel either threatened or confused and so they disengage. Mm. Uh, but they also may just be raised in communities like the Sunshine Coast where... <laughs> They don't think vaccination is a good idea because their friends told them. Um, and if they get information off Facebook, they'll often be in a bubble of their own, yeah. kind of an echo chamber, as we all know. Yeah. Um, and they don't really have that confrontation from science immediately because they won't subscribe to things that are going to make their lives more difficult or mm. make them feel threatened, I guess. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you to tell me a little bit about your experience of being a young woman in science in Australia today. Yes. So firstly, um, there aren't a lot of women in physics, yeah. especially when you get to kind of the full-time academic levels where people are employed by the university. And one of these levels, for example, would be a professor. Yeah. And there are two women in physics at UQ currently who are professors, which is awesome. Out of? Oh, uh, There'd be maybe 15 professors, okay. so two out of 15. But last year there was one, and so we recently so it's doubled. doubled. <laughs> right. But now we have no women in the level below professor. Okay. Uh, the first woman to become a professor of physics in Australia was uh, Helena Rubenstein Dunlop, and she works at the School of Maths and Physics at UQ. Yep. Uh, but she became a professor in the year 2000. Right. And that she was, was the first one. The first. In Australia. That's astounding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, we've got a, a lot to improve on. So, even what, what's going on here? I think the systems 
a little broken in that it was designed a long time ago and it kind of hasn't really adapted to be an inclusive workplace. So can you describe what you mean by the system? Uh, So a lot of expectations, I suppose, of you as a researcher Hmm. don't account for any kind of caring uh, roles that you may have, whether that's caring for your parents or kids or whatever. And also the way that people get promoted is often a little biased in that the selection committees aren't diverse themselves. Okay. And so people will tend to promote people who are like them mm-hmm. because they understand the journey. And, and they're they relatable. Can... Exactly. Yeah. And so even that can be really tricky. Okay. It's much better in Victoria, for example. In what way? So in Victoria, this is kind of contentious, but you're allowed to advertise for positions that are exclusively for female candidates. Okay. Yes. Right. And so you can say, like the University of Melbourne's done this several times and they did it about a month ago for a senior lecturer in astronomy yeah. saying only female candidates will be considered. Okay. Whereas this is actually not legal in Queensland. Okay. You're not allowed to say we will only consider female mm-hmm. candidates. Mm. And this is kind of tricky because it's a very definitive measure that people are using to try and get women in. And it can make people feel very threatened, uh, which is understandable. I mean, it makes sense. If you were a young male researcher, you'd worked hard, you'd done everything you needed to do. There's a limited amount of jobs you can apply for in the country. But you're not allowed to apply for these ones because of your gender. You know. And so... Yeah, there's a bit of debate in the community, I guess, in Australia, whether this is a good thing, because it can give people, uh, I think it's a legitimate reason to be angry about these kind of quotas, I suppose. Yeah. And so quota has become a bit of a dirty word. And I mm. think it's a really interesting discussion. And I think it's cool that the University of Melbourne is giving it a go. Mm. And I think they won't have to do it forever. So once they have a certain amount of women at the top, then the system hopefully will kind of fix themselves, assuming that they do make some systematic changes or have made those, Mm. such as having meetings in times where you're not trying to pick up your kids from school and offering parental leave, not just maternal leave, allowing Mm. males to take Mm. on that blessing of raising children yeah absolutely and things like that yeah yeah and which is something that i think doesn't seem to be getting the attention it should be yeah and i mean this is just talking about getting more women into academia but we also need to be looking at other kinds of diversity and making sure it's accessible to everyone so whether that's people with disabilities or like we don't have any aboriginal torres strait islander people in physics at uq and it's really sad because they're the world's first astronomers. Like, it's amazing. But, yeah, just making sure that we encourage all of the diversity because when you have that kind of work environment, the quality is so much better. Mm. Yeah. Mm, Much richer, more rewarding for individuals. Exactly. And and it furthers the whole endeavour of of the study and the the effort. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. is there something about being a young person or being a young physicist, mm-hmm. a young theoretical physicist, sure. a young theoretical physicist that works in solar panel technology yeah. and quantum mechanics and all the stuff that you do? Is there something about that that gives you a particular perspective on your industry? That's a very good question. I think that being passionate about the environment 
definitely plays into that. I mean, ever since I can remember, people have been worried about climate change, for example. Mm. And so that really obviously motivates me and terrifies me. Yeah. Um, it's so existential. It, it gets is, so existential it? Yeah. so quickly. Yeah. Um, so I think valuing the environment definitely plays into it because I've never thought twice about that being something that I'm worried about. Um, so you think that young yeah. physicists or young scientists are characterized by being kind of very concerned about climate change in a way yeah. that maybe the older, yeah. uh, older people aren't? I think the older people probably still would be because they're incredibly educated. Like they're so overeducated, it's insane. <laughs> um, I mean, there's lots of events that are aimed at youth scientists, I mm-hmm. suppose. So that yeah. definitely helps. But in terms of the attitudes that you have to your work, I don't think there's much of a difference okay. because so many of the physicists that I work with who are older than 40, <laughs> they act like children. Yeah, right. Yeah, like they never grew up. Um, <laughs> they're just so energetic. They're excited because... They're doing what they love. Are they a little wacky scientists? <laughs> yes. Um, profe- yeah, what is it, Doc, you know, and Back to the Future? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and they are very engaged on things like social media. They know how it works. Mm. They understand. A lot of them have kids, so they yeah. have understanding through that. And mm. I think just their passion makes them seem very youthful. So I don't actually know if there's too much of a difference between us which is yeah. really nice yeah that is nice yeah is there anything that you'd change about physics or about research um i think working to make a more diverse environment is the most important thing for physics at the moment mm-hmm. um there's also people don't talk about mental health enough in academia mm. i think that it's very stigmatized still even though people say mm. it isn't we don't ever have discussions about it Mm. And, yeah. it, and it's really not hard to find no. examples of, of mental illness yeah. in your workplace. I, I find this really fascinating like yeah. in my experience because it seems to be everywhere. Yeah. Even the most successful senior people are struggling mm-hmm. with the anxiety and the stress and sometimes depression that yeah. comes with just the enormous amount of responsibilities that they have. Yeah, and the lack of support networks and things Mm, like that. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, I think that's a really big one and I think it really does affect everyone at the end of the day, Mm. whether or not you suffer from it personally or not. Yeah, Yeah. that's the problem. Mm. Um, All right, well, I have one more question because I'm just really curious about this. Can you summarize your research to me in one sentence? Yes, I use physics to research plastic solar technology so that we can create cheaper, flexible, and more commercializable renewable energy sources. Nice. That's very good. All right. Well, look, I think we'll leave it there. Um, Before I let you go, though, is there any shout outs or plugs that you want to give or do you want to tell people about maybe your Twitter? Um, You can follow me uh, at palebluesam as in pale blue dot, the Carl Sagan reference uh, on Twitter. And I generally post things related to my work or try to do bits of science communication. Mm -hmm. And I love to meet people on there. It's such a fantastic way to create connections like I have with you today. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I don't think I have any... What about your lab or your group? Do they have a, yes, a place? Yes, thank you. So you can follow the Australian Research Council Centre of Excellence for Engineered Quantum Systems at 
A-R-C-Equus. Equus is So that's E-Q-U-S. Okay. So if you go to my profile, they'll be in the description. And they're fantastic. They do all kind of things on quantum computing to superconducting circuits to really amazing stuff. They've just partnered with Microsoft um, at University of Sydney to try and, yeah, develop the engineering, I guess, needed for quantum computing. So they're taking it to the next step, which is very exciting. That's cool. Yeah, they do all sorts of things and they're a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on to Binge Thinking. Thank you for thank having me. Thank you, everyone, me. for listening. Thank I'm you. I'm Casper Oxborough, and peace out. Bye.